Why analysts in the financial press love the term super cycle? I can only guess. I guess it's used to relay the idea that you can buy anything in the group or the industry at any time and you'll make money. It's most commonly used when referring to commodities. But over the last 20 years, it's made its way into the general lexicon of virtually every S&P 500 group. Remember the semiconductor supercycle? How about the biopharma supercycle? Or maybe it's the fertilizer supercycle. I recall hearing on TV from several food analysts that people have to eat. Did you forget about the agriculture supercycle? Or the protein supercycle? The EV electric vehicle supercycle? I could list another five or 10 I've heard of the last 10 years, and guess what? None of them were very super by the time their term was thrown around to describe them in the public equity markets. I'm Chris Paris with Oak Harvest Financial Group in Houston, Texas, and welcome to our weekly Stock Talk podcast. Before we get into this week's topic on super cycles, please take a moment to click on the subscribe button and the notification bell so you will be alerted when our team uploads our latest content. Super cycles. We hear that term thrown around too often on TV and in newsletters mainly as a way of trying to convey a message to investors that the coast is clear and you can buy a stock in the super cycle Dean group and make money. I'm not going to address all the super cycles in the industries outside of the commodities because whenever I hear that term in the press, my first instinct is to sell everything in the anointed group, run and hide from the sector and never look back for years. Commodities, like other sectors, usually move in bull and bear market cycles. Historically, these moves have been much more consistent and predictable in commodity groups than in many other sectors in the stock markets. Why? Because capital expenditures need to expand supply in major ways throughout the commodity complex usually are massive in nature, take years to come online, and they lag demand. Under normal conditions, rising demand or insufficient supply tend to push prices gradually higher. However, in commodity markets, after the initial time lag needed to add supply, oversupply will normally bring back the market into balance, and prices usually revert in balance often lower than they were at first when their upward move began. Why does this happen, particularly in the commodity complex? Because the definition of a commodity is this. First off, it's a hard asset that you can touch that falls into one of three areas, agriculture, like corn, wheat, and soybeans, energy commodities such as oil, natural gas, or gasoline, and metals such as gold, silver, platinum, or EV metals like cobalt or lithium. Secondly, it is almost always bought and sold purely on price with little to no other distinguishing features. This means there is little to no brand preference or benefit of buying a commodity producer A's product over producer's B product. How many of us still drive to a specific Exxon gas station or Shell gas station instead of pumping our gas at Costco? How many of us pick up a pound of ground beef at the supermarket and look at it and look for the brand and put it back thinking, no, I don't like that company. I'm not buying their hamburger or I'm not buying their ribs. There are a few people who still do that, but it's rare. On the other side of that aisle, you have a product like Coca-Cola, which is essentially made up of simple commodities like water, corn syrup, and other chemicals. However, its branding receives loyalty and a higher price because of its perceived differentiation from other cola drinks. A low-cost store brand is more of a commodity because it isn't much different from other store brands. 
it's bought primarily because of its low price, not its taste or reputation. Commodity supercycles, where commodities trade above their long-term price trends over long periods, are rare. However, they do exist and have existed for the last two centuries. They are most often initially caused by rapid money supply growth, which we've had for the 18 months post-COVID. Take a look at the Stiefel financial chart overlaying the M3 money supply growth in the US CRB index. As one can see, the correlation between money supply growth and commodity prices is strong, albeit with a time lag. The last commodity cycle occurred roughly from 2001 through June 2008. This cycle was fueled by the industrialization and economic growth of China as they invested massive infrastructure capital in front of the June 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing. China and a few other emerging economies were on a path of rapid industrialization, which created an unprecedented demand for raw materials that producers struggled to meet. This infrastructure expansion and growth supported rising prices powered by the demand for industrial and agriculture commodities. Prices rose almost each and every year into 2008. Well, that boom lasted almost exactly until China launched its Summer Olympic Games in June of 2008. By then, Greenfield commodity capacity was increasing right as the great financial crisis hit and demand for raw materials crashed. There was one last cyclical gasp for commodities themselves for about two years as we dug out of the financial crisis, but the stocks of commodity producers lagged most other financial assets even as the CRB rose in price. The question now is, do the current increases in commodity prices in oil, natural gas, grains, steel, or lumber signal a multi-year permanent upswing beyond two years? Or is it mainly being caused by temporary acceleration in post-pandemic growth, while at the same time, many countries where mines and commodities are sourced are being disrupted by COVID and the Russian-Ukraine war? Here's a two-year chart on the CRB index since the COVID lows from the second quarter of 2020 until now. Recall oil traded at minus $35 a barrel in the second quarter of 2020. That was only two years ago. Investors and traders were actually paying you to take their oil instead of taking delivery of it. Since the COVID lows, the CRB index, a weighted basket of all commodities, has risen almost 85%. Year to date, the same CRB index is up a little over 10%, while almost all other sectors of the stock market are down except commodity-oriented ones. Let's compare the current climate to the prior 2001 through 2008 commodity supercycle. Here's a monthly chart of the CRB index for the last 25 years. Comparing the current commodity move since the COVID lows to the prior supercycle of 2001 through 2008, as well as the post-great financial crisis commodity rally that lasted from the second quarter of 2009 through mid-2011. One can see from the chart that the current recovery in commodities is almost identical to the cycle recovery they experienced post-Great Financial Crisis. That commodity rally lasted a touch over two years as the CRB index rose close to 85%. Our current commodity rally is approaching almost the identical height as we near an 80% gain over almost the exact same time frame of a little over two years. If a new seven to eight year super cycle is in process beyond our current two year rally, we'll likely need it to be fueled by one, either stronger and expanding world economy, two, robust and sustained demand from several years from China, who with 1.3 billion citizens 
remains the world's biggest consumer of commodities, or three, true, unabated destruction of supply in the form of either more regulation, a continued war in Europe, or the continued movement towards nationalism and away from globalization by governments and politicians. The transition to a low carbon economy, forced or not, will take decades, and its impact on commodities will not be homogeneous or linear. Each commodity will be impacted in different ways, and as raw materials have varied exposure to nationalism and transition risk, the switch to low carbon energy has already provided a significant boost to metals and minerals needed to build renewable energy infrastructure and produce the batteries that support the expansion of the electrical vehicle market, so much so that many are now becoming uneconomical to use and threaten end demand before it all, but a smart part of the transition is made. Just ask Elon Musk about lithium availability and prices the last 18 months. However, the EV push will not obsolete oil and natural gas. Their usage goes far beyond transportation and heating. They are in just about everything you can find. They can't be switched off completely without causing massive economic hardship to our economy and most citizens who are currently using reliable, proven, efficient, and abundant legacy fossil fuels. Even if 18 months of rapid money supply growth supports the idea of a new commodity supercycle lasting seven or eight years, what are we witnessing now is a little more complex. We are overlaying a cyclical upturn caused by reopening of economies at the same time we witness supply disruptions by Russia and Ukraine, while we push from politicians for accelerated decarbonization and supply and capital investment restraint still exist. It's truly been a perfect storm for those needing commodities the last 12 months and Goldilocks for those sitting on inventory or existing supplies. I'm gonna leave you with a few hopeful notes that we have seen the peak prices in commodities complex for 2022 and therefore their effects on inflation declining throughout the second half of the year. Right now, the commodity run is increasingly reliant on higher energy prices as most other commodities have cooled off. As I've said many times in the past, lumber leads. It is usually one of the first commodities to move up in a cycle, and it's one of the first ones to peak because the supply chain is so short, and if demand slows, what do you do? You let your trees grow another year, and you don't harvest very much. Here's a three-year chart of lumber. It's down over 60% from its COVID high. Folks, it's time to build the fence you put off now for two years. Dr. Copper looks like a sick patient, and for all the talk of massive demand caused by EV markets, this commodity peaked 15 months ago and is now at best in a range, at worst, rolling over on the charts. Steel, demand there must be good, yes? We hear about infrastructure builds and auto demand being positive. Well, the price of steel is already almost minus 30% off its high, dating back to 2019 levels. Here's a chart of rebar, which is the most commodity-oriented of all the steel products. Looks like it's time to repair the driveway to me. I know it probably doesn't mean much now, but those commodities whose prices have not already broken material lower are grains and energy. Grains, of course, are being affected by both the Russian and Ukraine war, as well as weather here in the United States and Brazil. However, I remind investors that grains are a soft commodity, and in that nature are generally of the use it, lose it, or let it rot category. Given this, very long-term storage is not a real great alternative for these commodities as soon as their prices start heading down. Sellers with excess inventories come out of the woodwork. That leaves currently high energy prices that are hurting everyone in the world 
who's not independently wealthy or flying on their own private jet to Davos, Switzerland. Here's a chart of the CRB provided by T.S. Lombard showing the CRB and its three major components, energy, metals, and agriculture. As one can see, energy commodities are responsible for almost all of the entirety strength during the second quarter of this year. I'm going to spend a future podcast on the energy markets, but for now, all I can say is that I'm hopeful they are peaking too. Natural gas pricing might have already peaked last week, as it was down minus 15%, and it was down every day in Europe, and our domestic gasoline prices normally peak out near the heavy driving season of July 4th. Recall that high prices are the number one cure for high prices in commodity markets, because once price declines begin, no one wants to be caught offsides holding too much inventory in a declining market. Hey, just ask Target about carrying too much inventory when prices decline. Our team here at Oak Harvest knows that 2022 has been a trying time for those in the equity markets who are not trading oriented. The market's sustained higher volatility is a harsh reminder to investors that stocks don't always go up and they don't always go up in a straight line and there are no guarantees in the public equity markets, unlike the insurance markets. We know these sharp market moves drive emotions and the urge to make changes to what are supposed to be long-term asset allocations. If the ongoing market volatility is making you feel uneasy, give us a call and schedule a meeting with an Oak Harvest advisor. Our team does have insurance-based tools that don't have the volatility of the public equity markets. However, we remind you that these investments will also have lower long-term expected returns your savings, and your retirement. At Oak Harvest, we think our clients are best served by us helping them plan for their future needs instead of them focusing on the past. The future in stock markets are always uncertain, and that is why our retirement planning teams plan for your retirement needs first and your greed second. Give us a call here to speak to an advisor and let us help you craft a financial plan that meets your retirement goals. Call us here at 877-896-0040 and schedule an advisor consultation. We are here to help you on your financial journey into and through your retirement years. I'm Chris Paris, and for the whole team here at Oak Harvest Financial, have a blessed weekend. All content contained within Oak Harvest Podcast expresses the views of the speaker and is for informational purposes only. It is based on information believed to be reliable when created, but any cited data, indicators, statistics, or other sources are not guaranteed. The views and opinions expressed herein may change without notice. Strategies and ideas discussed may not be right for you, and nothing in this podcast should be considered as personalized investment, tax or legal advice, or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell securities. Indexes such as the S&P 500 are not available for direct investment, and your investment results may differ when compared to an index. Specific portfolio actions or strategies discussed will not apply to all client portfolios. Investing involves the risk of loss, and past performance is not indicative of future results.